Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hey, y'all. I'm Zach Gleason. And I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 343 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with Lawyerist Lab members Jeremy and Sarah Danielson about what it takes to grow your business with the right hires. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nackley, Rankings.io, Text Expander, and Postali. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned, and we'll tell you more about them later on. So, Zach, in today's episode, I talked to Jeremy and Sarah about some of the struggles that they had when it came to hiring, and it occurred to me that it is a really tough market right now. Everyone I talk to that's trying to hire is really struggling to find great people. And it's not just the restaurants, right? I think we're hearing right now, we we thought we were coming out of COVID. Who knows if that's actually the case right now? I'm not going to get into that. But the news is all about, oh, we can't find good people to work in restaurants and bars and those kind of jobs. But the reality is it's across the board. A lot of the lawyers that we work with are hiring for lots of positions and they're not seeing a a ton of people applying. So I I think it's broader than just the, the service industry. I think it's absolutely broader than just the service industry. And we're in a place where it's an employee's market in a sense. And what it makes me think of are I've had paralegals and assistants that I've worked with or worked around that they have refused to go work for somebody, particular attorneys who have reputations for having bad culture or for for being somebody that's just terrible to to work around. And we can't afford to have that sort of reputation now because you can't buy your way out of that. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we hear those words like bad culture, the first thing that always comes to my mind, I always think of this old legal assistant that I had, Sue, and she worked in Manhattan in a law firm back in the 80s. And she had great stories about like smoking over her typewriter (laughs) with correction paper. And and there was a lawyer that would throw staplers across the room when he got mad at people. And I always have this vision of like office girl or working. What was that shit? Working girl. It doesn't matter. Yeah. My my point is, I think it's easy when we hear bad culture to think of those throwing stapler lawyers. But I suspect Mm -hmm. that a lot of firms unknowingly or unintentionally create bad cultures simply because they don't have their act together, right? Like they're just not running good businesses and they're overwhelmed and their people are stressed out and they're working hard and they don't know what they're doing. And that just creates a different type of toxic environment where you're not worried about getting hit in the head with a stapler, but you're just running ragged. Absolutely. And, and I think it's kind of thing we you can have your demeanor, your persona that you put on as an attorney. You can be a jerk. You can be really nice. You can be w- whatever you want. And that doesn't necessarily have an effect on our culture. Our culture is what our employees see, what our assistants see. And if we're not leading the ship, if we're not writing it in times of trouble or, or creating good pathways forward, our assistants are coming in stressed out every day wondering what's going to happen. Is somebody going to call from the courts and we've got a case that we dropped the ball on because we don't have proper law practice management systems or proper systems and protocols in place? That is 
more, I think, toxic than just being a jerk, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I think sometimes like what I'm hearing is, look, guys, we're not saying you have to have ping pong tables and hey. snack machines or whatever to create this amazing culture. Some people that they like that. But mm -hmm. just as important, maybe before before you go to that extreme, get your shit together, get your business act together and make sure you're creating an environment where people can get their work done in a reasonable manner, in a happy manner and, and leave and not have that stress of the what ifs and the unknowns and all the other things that we know happen when people just aren't running good businesses. And, and I had go into the not having ping pong tables. I, I've had assistants that if I had ping pong tables and fun things set up, they would hate that culture. <laughs> they would despise that. They just want to come in, know what their work is, get their work done and and leave it at the office and be happy with that and do good work take pride in the good work that they do, but they don't want to come to, to work and play. They've got their life outside of work that they can do that in. Yeah, that makes sense. I think if you're listening, maybe it's a good chance just to take a step back and think about your business and, and the culture you're creating for your team and maybe not from the lens of ping pong tables or staplers, but probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> And how are you doing? And are you creating the work environment that you really would want for your team? And if not, what are some things that you could put in place to have a more organized business or a more structured process? And so that your team can not only feel excited about the work they do day to day, but then ideally they also see how that ties into the bigger vision and purpose of the business. And I think we can all get in somewhere in between ping pong tables and staplers. That's going to be our new mantra, by the way. We just totally made this up. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's going to be a chapter in the book next time. Ping pong tables and staplers. So, Well, now we have my conversation with Nackley and then Stephanie's conversation with Jeremy and Sarah. Hey, y'all. It's Zach, legal tech advisor here at Lawyers. Today, I'm joined by Kim Mayberry from Nackley. And as usual, he and I are talking about document automation. Now, for those of you who don't know, Nackley is a document automation and assembly platform for lawyers. And Kim has been in this industry for how many years now? 20, 20 plus years, 20 plus years we've been doing document automation. Yeah. And you you so, and your counterparts. In, in So from our perspective, we did document automation consulting before. My co-founder, Lil Stewart, had been on the programming side of document automation for over 20 years. So, yeah, we've been in this business a long time and seen a lot of documents, a lot of ways to approach this and excited about how we took all that knowledge and put that into Nackley. Well, and so one of the things that you guys have seen, and this used to be okay as a time saver, copy and paste. Right. So think about it. I think copy and paste was first introduced in, I think, 1983 or 84. And it was like, it revolutionized how you did documents, right? Because you can now copy from one place to another place is revolutionary, but that was back in 83. And so now it's, if you are copying and pasting within your documents, you're losing time because that means you have to go through, do your find to replace within a document and hope you don't screw something like one client that I know before they went to document automation, they sent out, they had a religious reference and the new from the old client and didn't catch it with that new client. And oops, that was not good. So really 
just all the time that you're spending, if you think about it, you're spending a ton of time in Word that you don't need to if you had Nackley. It's so the kind of the idea is, okay, when we when we introduce copy and paste, that's our technology. That's the extent of our technology. Great. We're using everything. But now we're getting into instead of getting inside the document and manipulating it in a fast way, create the document in a faster way. You can automate this and make it less of a time waster even outside of that document. Correct. And not only start thinking about in your document, but you're putting stuff in your client management software. Mm -hmm. Start pulling that data in. So we have our Clio integration that we do. We also do work with Zapier. So we can integrate with a lot of different systems to start pulling your data into your documents and really save you time there. Just pulling in some of the information about the client is going to save a a great deal of time. It's going to save a great deal of copy and paste. It's going to save a great deal of find and replace because as you said, we've all heard those stories of how that has gone very awry, if you will. Now, you guys have worked with some of our labsters on doing yes. this. And frankly, we've got Jeremy Danielson on right after this. And, and y'all have worked with him, right? Yeah, we do. He has been great to work with. When he first came to us, he was just frustrated that things were just taking mm-hmm. too long. And he had it, lawyerists really helped him get the vision in place of where he wanted mm-hmm. to go. And in order to get that vision in place, he tried out a couple of different software packages and none of them could do what he needed right. to. So he turned to Napoli and he's been amazing to work with. So, you know, we were on a conversation with him a few months ago and I just want to get some numbers confirmed. Things that were taking the assistant 30, 35 minutes were now taking five minutes. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing we're seeing with this yeah. is if you go to digitize all your files, put all your files into a law practice management system. You can save time just by doing that. That's great. But again, that's not on the Vanguard. That's not saving as much time as you can now because that 35 minutes is much faster than doing things by hand. But inputting this information into something like Clio, inputting this information into something something else that works like with Zapier, and then being able to put it into the right place at the right time without affecting any other part of the document is is huge. And, and along the whole idea of copy and paste with Nackley, we can now have clients fill out their information online too. And that pulls into your documents and that's integrated right into it. So the whole, our whole concept is really stop copying, start leveraging. So yeah. really start leveraging your resources, your time, um, your systems pull it together so that everything works together. I, I like that a lot, that start leveraging, because we're talking about information that you're getting from your client. When we first think about it, you think, okay, let's get it once and and be done. Great. Okay. Right. But now that we've got it, let's use it better. Let's, like you said, right. leverage it. Let's start doing appropriately gendered pronouns in the document, I think is a, a relatively simple one. But making that information work for you as opposed to saying, okay, right. what's just the fastest way I can do this? It, it, and like last week, we were on a call with uh, a, a new client and she's, oh, she grasped it. She grasped his concepts. And the assistant said, it only really takes me like 15 minutes to do this document. But here's the reality is once she's done with document automation, it may take her 15 minutes to do the one document and she may have six documents to mm-hmm. do. But with document automation and the way we set it up, it, you could get that down to 
five minutes to fill out the information and populate all six documents at once. So you're really seeing time savings, even if you're, if you think, oh, this doesn't really take very long. You really started tracking how much time you're spending in Word, copying and replacing and doing these things. You would be surprised right. about what you would find. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that people skip over is products like Nackley have these client facing interviews or guided interviews or, or something like that. Some sort of form that allows you to either send that to the client to have them fill out or you can fill it out with the client on the phone if you want to. But now you fill that out once for all the documents yep. you're going to do for this, this client. And I, I think that's obviously a huge time saver. And Kim, again, thank you for being with us. It, it is always great to talk to you about document automation and assembly. And you guys have a, you guys have a document that people can look at, something to, to look at. Stop wasting so much of their time at knackley.io forward slash stop waste. That's exactly right. We've got a free report there that kind of goes through what things that they can do, how to, how repetition is causing problems in their firm. Also some avoids some tips to help you in other ways as okay. well. Sounds good. I would certainly suggest to go there and, and download that. And Kim, again, thank you for being with me. Always appreciate it. Now I'm excited, Jeremy and Sarah, to have you guys on the show today. I think it's for a couple of reasons. Obviously, we've been working together for a while. You've been a member of our lab um, community. And I just love all the great work you guys are doing on your fit, on your firm. But also, and I think like this isn't really unique, right? Like we have a lot of husband, wife, our spouse teams working on their business together. And that's pretty typical for, for small businesses. Maybe let's just start there and dive into that. Sarah, did you always have an official role in the firm from when it started? No, I actually just started helping Jeremy when he was working till midnight every night and got tired of that and the boys wanted to see him and spend time with him. I just asked if there was anything I could do to help and he gave me one task and then I just started taking things on my own and then it became a more of a full-time role. So I think for about six months to a year, I didn't actually have a role with Daniel Small. I was just learning and doing everything that I could to give him more time to enjoy life. You mean you didn't dream of running a law firm for your husband? Never. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's probably how it starts for most of us. We're starting a new business and it's a little bit all hands on deck in the beginning, or maybe it sounds like it wasn't. It was all Jeremy's hands on deck as he was working till midnight. And then you're like, hey, we're in this together and what can I do? And I, I I think that's a story that probably found, sounds familiar to lots of people. Even if the spouse or loved one doesn't have an official title or role, they're in there doing stuff. I agree. Uh, yeah, and I agree. I joke with some people, and it's really not a joke because other spouses will understand that I might be the attorney, but Sarah's the boss. <laughs> she helps make sure I'm in the right places at the right time and uh, talk to the right people. And she is now an indispensable and trustworthy member of the team and critical member of the team. What's it like working with your spouse, Jeremy? Like, are there issues that come up? What do you feel like are the biggest struggles outside? We're not trying, not trying to really get into marital disputes here, <laughs> but there can be some challenges when you guys are working so closely together. I'm going to first say I'm very lucky to get to work with my best friend and I get to share more 
responsibilities with her that I may not share with other people because I trust her and I know I can rely upon her. That being said, our biggest challenge probably is trying to figure out where that line is between work and personal life. And the fact that we're a remote firm, we do a lot of work from home. So where's that line? When is it okay to cross it? When is it not? And where are those boundaries? And we are getting better and better at it, but we, it's, it's a continuous struggle to say, to figure out how to separate the two. That resonates with me so much. I've probably told the story before where like my husband will come in cause he has his own business and I help him out and he'll come in and ask me a question like, Hey, did you call the CPA? And I'm like, I'm getting ready in the morning. Like I haven't even had my shower and I am not ready to think about this and I don't want to. So we, we try to call it a business meeting. Like, Hey, if I need a business meeting, then that's when you can ask me about business stuff. So I don't know if you guys have come up with anything like that that works. We do, we do a weekly leadership meeting at 11 a.m. every Wednesday. And it's really just an opportunity for me to bounce ideas off of Jeremy and vice versa with not so much client work, but our fun activities like marketing and blogs and newsletters and finance, just things that we actually enjoy doing, but we don't have a lot of extra time to do. That's so super smart. I love having a defined meeting with agendas. So then, and everybody, then you're going to have a chance to talk about it. So maybe you don't feel compelled to ask someone while they're getting ready, you know, that question. Mean that we don't ask each other questions at 645 in the morning or 8 o'clock at night at times, <laughs> even though it does happen still. Yeah. And it, it's hard. And I don't know if you guys experience this because I know you have two young ones. My daughter recently said something like, wow, does your business have lots of problems like to my husband? And cause, cause we're just always talking about it. And we were like, no, like we just actually enjoy talking about business stuff. And it's not that it's problems. This is just what businesses do, right? There's just always things to talk about, but it was interesting. Her little perception was that, wow, our business must have a lot of problems. And we were like, oh, maybe we should think about how we're framing things. We always say we're not going to talk about business. We go out to dinner together. Like we're not talking about work. And then 20 minutes into it, you start talking about work. And then it's not a bad thing because that's when we have some of our best conversations because it's not so forced. Yeah. But we definitely need to get better about work-life balance. Yeah. And so one of the things I know you guys had to do because like you did have kind of this transition, right? Where at first you were not really technically working in the business, but then you found yourself working in the business. And so then there came a time where it was like, okay, we need to actually formalize what Sarah's role is in the business and more importantly, pay her. And I want to talk about that for a second because I know you guys had to go through this and and I think it's so helpful. We talk about it all the time, but it's so worth talking about. So looking back on that time, thank you, Stephanie, because you helped push me and us in that direction. It has been critical for our current success, but it was important at that time, a couple of years ago to start paying Sarah for two reasons. One, to show appreciation to Sarah. So she knew that what she was doing was creating value for the family from a monetary standpoint. And two, from a, for me, from a business owner perspective, to start to prove to myself that I could afford to pay an employee. There was work being done that wasn't technically being compensated for that we needed to, I need to be able to see on my books see that money going out, what it was going for. So that now that we've hired team member three and four and looking to do team member five, looking back, paying Sarah gave me the confidence to pay team member three, Ashley and Danella and whoever the next hire is. 
that was critical at the time. And I didn't understand it, but the lab and uh, Stephanie helped me understand the importance there. Yeah, thanks for that. And it is, there's a huge psychological shift that probably happens. And Sarah, from your perspective, did you feel differently when you went from not being paid to being paid? Not really. I didn't, I never really thought of that as a negative thing, not being paid. I mean, we joked about it all the time. I was like, oh, I'm glad I work free for free. Or I tell them all the time I need a raise. But I think what was more important to me was the flexibility that I had, not necessarily the compensation. So I'm able to take the boys and go do things like go to take them to school, doctor's appointments. And I don't have to report to somebody and say, I need time off to go do this. I don't think the monetary thing was ever a big thing for me. I think it was more the flexibility it allowed and provided. Because a lot of people have family members doing something for their business without being compensated. But I Mm -hmm. think, Jeremy, to your point, once you do make that switch, it also shows you that if the the loved one wants to step away, which is oftentimes what I hear, like people come into coaching sessions. I've had a couple of people be like, I don't want to do my husband's marketing anymore or whatever it is they're doing, which is totally fair. It gives you, the business owner, the confidence to know that you could afford for your company to have this role filled or these responsibilities filled by somebody else and a new person or a contractor or something. No, that's critical. I can look at our profit and loss statement in our cash flow and I see what we've allotted for these responsibilities. And I have the confidence to know that's that we can afford to pay that in an ongoing fashion. Yeah. Let's shift then because hiring is something that I know a lot of people struggle with and are so willing to share that it was a struggle for you to think about making that first hire. And so take us back before now we have Sarah officially on the team and she's making money and you realize, okay, I think I need to hire someone else. What was your hesitancy at that time? What was coming up for you? I think my initial mindset, I think we're in year seven now. When I first started this thing is that this was going to be a me thing firm. I was going to be the only one forever. And I was content with that. And then things on the ground started to shift and Sarah started taking responsibilities and helping. And that starts to slowly change your mindset. And then Sarah and I were at capacity and needed help. And we brought on a few new clients. We needed help and our quality of life was not what we wanted it to be. Our ability to spend time with our children was not where we wanted it to be. And I agonized over how to make that decision to hire the next person. It came down to, it's one thing to take a chance on my family and to trust myself with that risk, but to make a promise to another family that this thing that Sarah and I are building can also support this other family. That was where my struggle was. And I agonized over it in total probably for nine months before Ashley started to wrestle with that and know that we, this firm could support another family. And I was confident about it. And it's been the best decision we ever made because that also then started, I had to learn how to delegate and ask for help. And that was something I had never been good at in the first five or six years of running this firm. Yeah, I want to go back to something that you said, because I'm just curious about it. When you thought it was just going to be you and you said you were content with that, say more about that, because I'm trying to understand what was your mindset when you thought it was just going to be you and why was that okay? This turned into a really big moment in the firm for Sarah and I. When we first started, or I first started, I had a really stable referral source and it at the beginning fed us 100% of our business and that led to some of that contentment. Slowly, as we established our reputation in the community, 
that went from 100% to 90, probably somewhere around 85%. And four years in, this would have been beginning of 2019, that company decided to use a different larger firm through no fault of our own. And we, in a matter of 30 days, lost 85% of our business. Yeah. And that was when I was, we had started to pay Sarah. So it was just her and I, and we had to have some difficult conversations about, okay, what's next? Yeah. So that was challenging. And in exploring what's next, is that when you realized, I do want this business and maybe I want it to be beyond just what I'm capable of doing on a day-to-day basis? I have to give Sarah a lot of credit and she can speak to this a little bit more, but how we went to fill that gap was entirely a credit to her and to the lab community and the lab coaches and you. We had some really good conversations about how to figure that out. And I I do want to hear Sarah talk about this, but she just asked for business from other potential referral sources. And that led to where we are today. Sarah, what shift happened from, from your perspective? I think when we lost that referral source, both of us took a step back and it was, do I close down shop and go work for another firm? And then I could go find a different job doing something. But I think we became so accustomed to the flexibility and and we enjoyed doing what we were doing. We liked it. I just literally started cold emailing lenders and realtors and was like, hey, can we do your stuff? And I got probably 95% no's, but we got those 5% yeses are what brought us back. And now we have two employees and we're looking to hire an associate. And that's all in a matter of two years. I think those yeses were possible because of some of the things we had done in the years leading up to that. When I first started working on these transactions, I would actually attend closings on behalf of my clients. And that was honestly because I was naive and I didn't know what I was doing. But by being there in person, I established relationships with the other attorneys, the other lenders in the marketplace. So they had seen my face. They knew who I was. And then we had actually also been doing a monthly newsletter program with a blog for five or six years now. We've been doing that. But at the time, we had so much feedback from the president of the Iowa Bar Association, from other attorneys that loved the content we were putting out and how we were positioning our firm and our family that they knew who we are through that newsletter because it was different from what anybody else has been doing. Exactly cold emails from Sarah, but they had seen our name or heard of us or worked with us on a transaction before. But yes, if we didn't ask for the business, we weren't going to get it. Yeah. I'm sure people listening all have a, a similar type of moment or piece in their story where something happened. And like for you guys, and I remember the day that we got on a coaching call because you were like, hey, this referral source is going away. And it wasn't that you did anything wrong. They just wanted to move in a business direction. And I know a lot of um, small law firms do have a big reliance on a source of clients, right? That's not, that's, we see that all the time. And so that, that shift really gave you guys a chance to step back and be like, wait a minute, what is this thing we're building? Should Jeremy just go get a job and we go along that path? Or do we want to build this into a business that's diversified in terms of your client source and, and then also how you're doing the work and, And so I appreciate that you guys had the opportunity to take that step back and then be really intentional with what we started creating moving forward. Absolutely. And that's when I had to spend some hard hard time thinking about what we wanted this to be. And as we 
started running our own shop without that referral source. And we had things coming in from a lot of different directions. We've since diversified to probably 15 or 20 referral sources now. So I learned that we, we learned that lesson, that very hard, valuable lesson, but we then had to put processes and systems in place to support how to manage all of this work coming in from different directions. It wasn't coming in from one source. So we couldn't just do things the way it had always been done. And LabCon was a huge breakthrough for me in Minneapolis, the last in-person LabCon where I was struggling with what our intake system was going to look like. And through talking with other attorneys and again, Stephanie and some quite a few post-it notes on the wall at the hotel, I was able to start to think about what do I want the intake experience to be like for our clients instead of think, because I had been thinking about the tool first and it wasn't the tool that was the answer. Once I started to put myself in the client's shoes and what do I want them to feel like when they first call Danielson Law, when we talk about how we can help them signing the engagement letter, I realized we already had the tool in place with our CRM system and it could accomplish everything I wanted it to accomplish. And we still use, and that intake system is still what we use today with double the volume that we had that or triple the volume probably from what we had then. And it's working well. Oh, that's so awesome. It warms my heart truly because we always say these things and speak these things. And that's why I'm loving these conversations with you guys because you're really showing us like, yeah, when you can implement these ideas and then see real results in it and it, and you start to see how they're all connected and how one thing then leads to the next and the next. And now you have this awesome intake process and you've continued to build systems and processes. And then that led to your hiring. And I want to touch on that some more because I think that was that your journey in your hiring process is is probably a typical one of what a lot of our listeners might be struggling with. So let's take a quick break. We'll hear from our sponsors and when we come back. We'll dive in more. Support for today's episode comes from rankings.io, a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of the Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do, so all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. It's hard to keep up with trends when you're rushing to court and helping clients, but new cases hinge on topping the results page. You need a marketing partner to keep you informed and your firm growing. That partner is Postali. And you should know about Google Local Service ads. LSAs connect you with folks searching for nearby legal services. LSAs show up at the top of the page, higher than maps and other listings. And the best part, you only pay if you're contacted through the ad. Appearing when somebody searches for lawyers near me has never been easier or more affordable, letting you focus on the law. LSAs are a great addition to existing PPC efforts or a standalone initiative. Quickly initiated by the Postali team, LSAs and a partnership with Postali can get your firm where it belongs. To learn more about LSAs and Postali services, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from rankings.io, 
a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and Rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of the Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do, so all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. All right, we're back. And earlier, Jeremy, you were sharing with us that it was probably a nine-month journey or struggle about whether you were ready to make that first hire outside the family. Because at this point, Sarah was obviously on the team. Talk us through, because I hear this so often, like, how do you know when it's the right time to hire? People are worried. Can they financially support this person knowing, and you've touched on that too. I knew this was going to be me taking on responsibility for someone else's family. And at the same time, your workload and realizing that you were the roadblock. And so was the, what, was there a process that you went through in thinking about when can I do this? Absolutely. After I got over that initial hurdle of making a promise to an additional family, it really came down to me figuring out what was I going to ask this person to do? And I didn't know how to delegate. I had never really delegated before. As we talked about, Sarah just took things from me and started to do them. I didn't ask or identify what I needed help with. And we, we had outsourced things to our CPA, but in for 40 hours a week or whatever we look at, I had never at really delegated. And I did a, an activity <laughs> through, through lab again. There was a worksheet in the lab portal that asked me or identified different activities. Is this a, an assistant type position? Is this a paralegal type of activity? Is this an attorney activity? So I had to do some critical thinking about what things do I have to do and what things can I ask for help with? What are attorney only activities? And being honest, there are not that many activities within the law firm operations that are attorney only activities. If we put the right systems and processes in place, I can make it easy for other team members to help me with it. And then I just have to review things. And that's that worksheet was the breakthrough for me to identify what things I could ask this next hire to do. And then she started, once she started on July 6th of last year, then she started doing additional things in the way Sarah has. And uh, it's, it's been phenomenal for our team. And Sarah, what was that process like for you? The first hire was not as overwhelming, I think, as the second hire was, honestly. The second hire was a little bit different, but it was really hard to give up control, to be honest. I'm a little bit of a control freak, and I like to be in control of everything. To give up a very big piece of what I was doing was very hard, but she instilled confidence. Like, it was a no-brainer, and as soon as I did, it was fantastic. It gave me more time to do other things that I actually enjoy doing, but it, yeah, it was very hard to give up control. Yeah. We hear that a lot. That it, it, It's a real issue. We tend to be, let's just face it, we're usually, we're perfectionists and we like doing the way we do it. And I don't know, did you have any tips that helped you in that process or did you just have to go for it? I just had to go for it. And as soon as I realized how helpful it was and how it opened up doors for me to be able to do things that I enjoy in the business, it, it 
I, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And to be fair, you guys, you followed our advice and you created a really awesome hiring system so that you could feel good that the person you brought onto the team was the right person with the right skills and aligned with your values. And so talk to us a little bit about what that looked like. So for us, it's all about getting the right people in the right seats. And we didn't know that at the time necessarily, but Sarah was doing things and it was effective. But after she's been able to do that, it's more within her skill set and her what she wants to work on. So it's been better. And then that allowed us to move Sarah to do work on the things that she wants to work on. The hiring interview process, what we have developed up to this point, was, of course, putting a job posting together to put a wide net out there about what we were looking for. But we very quickly narrowed it down for the paralegal hire, which was our first outside of the family hire, and requiring two two critical things in the interview process just to weed out the serious candidates. For a paralegal, she was going to be doing a lot of typing. So we had a typing test as a part of it. But more importantly, we asked any interested candidate to put together a one to two minute video talking about why they would be a good fit for Danielson Law. And Sarah was the first one to weed through those videos. Some would just sit there and read their resume on the video. That wasn't what we were looking for. Tell me about you as a person. Tell me about what you want to accomplish. Why is your lifestyle and personality a good fit for our team? That's what I want to hear. And when someone puts that together on the video, you can just, you know, that's probably the right person. We then met with Ashley in person, both Sarah and I together. And if we didn't offer her on the spot, we offered her an hour after the interview or something like that. It was quick. But it's been a really good fit for us. Yeah. And I remember you going through that process. And if I recall correctly, because we spent a lot of time being clear in the job app, in the job posting who you guys are and what your values are. And I feel like I remember that the candidate you ultimately hired saw that and recognized that and even commented on that as part of the process. Like, wow, it's so clear who you guys are just from reading your values. And I feel aligned with that. And that's the attract that we're going for in this process. We have been unafraid to put ourselves out there with our values and our vision and what we want to be in job postings on our website, in our newsletters everywhere. And that is attracting the right kind of potential team members. That's attracting the right kind of clients and the right kind of referral sources. We are in a much better spot today from the referral sources we are working with as to several years ago because we've identified who we want to be, who we are, who we want to work with, and we're open and honest about that. It's been critical in every aspect of our business, and I want to continue to work on those vision and values and clarify that so that we can tell that story in as many ways and mediums as possible. I love it. It's it's why I wanted to have these conversations because, you know, you guys are living out the very things that we see as so necessary for lawyers and that living proof that it works. It's not just Stephanie up here talking about it, but that's why I wanted to share these stories because I have just noticed the difference in your business over the last two years. And I don't know if you had to step back and take that snapshot from where you were two years ago to where you are now, what would be the highlight reel? Everything is better from quality of life, ability to spend time with our children to our financial position to our the way we work, who we work with. My day-to-day is better a thousand percent. And I had a 10-year vision two years ago of where I wanted to be. And I think I'm going to be there within three. I think it's we're trying to make it happen with this associate hire right now. And my mind is blown how far we've come. And it's not because Sarah and I try to do a lot of big things all at once. We really try to do 
one thing at a time, look at a 90 day vision or a 90 day goal set and do two or three small things, get 1% better every day. And that has really turned into a massive transformation in our business in a really small amount of time in two years from losing that referral source to growing, doubling the size of our team and adding a new associate. It's been incredible. Awesome. It was so great to talk to you guys. I love hanging out with you as any, I don't know, any parting advice that you'd have for other folks, things that you wish you'd learned along the way, maybe faster, sooner. I think the most obvious critical one, other than love what you do and who you work with, is be honest about who you are to everybody, to your spouse, if you're lucky enough to work with them. It works phenomenally for us, to your team members, to the vendors and referral sources you work with. Just be who you are, be honest and confident in that, because that that has put us in a different place today than understanding who you are and being able to communicate that has put us in a much better place today than at the beginning. Awesome. Sarah? I think my biggest takeaway from all of this is don't be afraid to hear no, because things aren't, you're not, oh, it's not even working with your spouse. It's not always yes. We've had some throw down no's. It's not rainbows and butterflies by any means, but the times that you hear no are the times when you sometimes have the most groundbreaking conversations and ideas and whatnot. And whether that's work or asking for referral sources or anything like that. Just sometimes no is a very productive answer. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks, you guys. It was always a pleasure. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.